Corinthians chapter 4. We're also going to look into a little bit of chapter 5 as well this morning. Uh, as we all know, Pastor Francine has been going through 1 Corinthians, and so that's really helpful for this morning because we don't have to spend as much time through the background because we all have uh, a knowledge of what's going on in the church of Corinth and, um, and Paul's life even, and so we don't have to necessarily take as much time, but it's very helpful to understanding uh, our passage this morning. It's not debated at all who the author of 2 Corinthian, uh, Corinthians is, neither is it 1 Corinthians because he states it in the first verse of both books. It's Paul, uh, the apostle, writes these two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and it's not debated either who he's writing to. This is the church in Corinth. Um, and as Pastor has deal, detailed to us before about this church and about this city, Corinth was a commercial city. You could say a hopping place, all right? That was Corinth. Uh, and Paul's association with this city, really, uh, this city of commerce started on his second missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. And the first 18 verses of Acts chapter 18. And uh, you see in verse 11 that uh, he stayed uh, there for 18 months in the city of Corinth. Uh, and he was able to see God work, see souls saved, and see a church developed in the city of Corinth. But he continues on in his second, uh, in his second missionary journey uh, to other places. And after leaving Corinth, some uh, unfortunate news was getting to the ears of the Apostle Paul about the believers in the church at Corinth, and uh, we, after leaving, uh, he gets this report of issues that are in the church, and Paul writes a letter, his initial letter, which we actually do not have today, it's referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, and it's confronting sin, um, and he's confronting sin, and we also see from later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, he writes them back, because they wrote, having some questions about what he wrote, and the second letter is what we have as 1 Corinthians today. And we see uh, kind of the progress of that even as Paul reveals it of himself in both of these letters. And so 1 Corinthians 1.7 uh, states that uh, that is the reason why he's writing 1 Corinthians. And then uh, in this letter, Paul spares no details, right? We know that from pastor's study. He's not sparing any details about what is happening in the church, how it's against the will of God, how there's apostasy in the church, and all of these different things. And, and he is really uh, hammering them on these biblical truths, on these truths of theology and practice and all of these different things in, his, uh, in 1 Corinthians in that letter there. And uh, after he sends that letter uh, with Timothy to the church in Corinth, as you can imagine, Paul is uh, probably eager to hear back how it was received, right? Uh, are, are these people listening to the will of God, to the word of God here. And uh, we see that uh, time progresses and Paul finally uh, meets back up with Timothy. And again, it's kind of a negative report. Timothy says hey, there's still um, some things going on in the church and there are actually people in the church, Paul, that are undermining your apostleship so that the other believers won't listen to your letters, won't listen to what you say. And so Paul writes them another letter, which we don't have today either. It's not in our completed canon of Scripture. Um, but it's referred to here in our, our epistle this morning, 2 Corinthians. Uh, and he sends it with Titus, and it's referred to especially in the second chapter of this book, and also again in chapter 7. And once Titus met with Paul after uh, giving a, uh, the letter to the church of Corinth, 
Uh, he meets with Paul in Macedonia. You see that in chapter 2, verse 13. And Paul learns that many had repented of their rebellion after that third letter. And it was, it was a blessing um, to Paul. And as he's getting this, he says that in, in this same letter to the church of Corinth in chapter 7, in verse 7. And so Paul sends a letter back to the church in Corinth, which we know as 2 Corinthians, after he has the report of some repentance in the church. You know, as I, I think of that background, I'm really amazed at Paul's love and care for these people. That he would boldly tell the truth for such uh, an amount of time, so many different times, the same thing, the same people that are saying, oh, you're not an apostle of God. Um, we don't have to listen to this man, and yet he sticks with them. He has a love for this people, and I'm so glad for that because had he not, we might not have 2 Corinthians today. And we see it having an impact on the church's life. We see it having an impact on the believer's life there. And so this morning, we're jumped right into the middle of this letter, which isn't ideal, obviously. Um, but basically, 2 Corinthians, after starting with a, a greeting in chapter 1, like Paul usually does, and referring to his meeting and sending Titus in chapters 1 and 2, Paul goes into some detailed descriptions of his ministry, um, just to, again... Uh, just like he's doing in his previous letter as well, he begins to talk about the triumph of his ministry, the basis for his ministry, the theme of his ministry, and the motivation for his ministry. And he's going through all of these things kind of in the middle of this book, 2 Corinthians. And during this part of his letter, Paul touches on a truth that is vitally, vitally important for Christians. And that's what we're looking at this morning. That truth is simply stated this. Prepare to meet your God. That's what Paul's talking about here in this passage. We looked at uh, chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. We're going to come back to that in a second, but we're going to continue reading in chapter 5, if you would, with me. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1, continuing the thought here. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed, Upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon the mortality might, uh, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us from the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Paul is getting some key truth across here for believers this morning. And really, it goes right along with his thought process in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's giving us a big why here. Uh, several reasons why. And the first truth I want you to see this morning is the temporalness of life. That's the first thing we're going to look at, the temporalness of life. And we see that starting back in chapter 4 and verse 16. Again, Paul is talking about his ministry here. Uh, and giving us some detail about it. And he starts to talk about how life is 
temporal. Now, what does that word temporal mean? Uh, literally, in the, the Latin use of the word, it means of time. And when we use the word temporal, it's referred to something that doesn't have much of it left, meaning time. All right? There's a time limit. There's limited time left. That's what temporal means. And so when we're talking about temporal, that's what we mean. I wonder this morning, how many of you have ever been to an escape room? An escape room. All right, there's a few. How many of you at least know what it is? Maybe an escape room? Okay. Uh, So an escape room, basically they put you in this themed room uh, with other people, and you have an hour that's counting down to find all the clues, to find all the keys, and try to escape that room. Uh, My wife and I had the privilege of doing this several different times when we were dating, because that was the thing to do around Maranatha, there wasn't much to do, but there was an escape room, uh, and they would have different themes, and so we would go off and on with our friends. Um, and I remember the first couple times we were going, the, you know, the theme changes each time you go, and it's just a small room, and you're looking for keys, and the time's going down, and you have limited time. You can see it right there in front of you. It's going, counting down from an hour. I remember the first couple of times going with uh, my girlfriend at that time, Emily, and um, we were with other friends, and they have different levels of these escape rooms. And we were doing the first couple of times just the easier levels to medium levels. And uh, I just felt like I was really good at this escape room thing. And so we were going through and, um, you know, you're tearing up couch cushions. You're looking for different keys around the room, moving bookshelves, whatever it might be, moving things you're not supposed to move that they told you at first. There's nothing behind there. Don't worry. Uh, so you're looking for keys, and I remember the first couple times we went making it out with time to spare, and like, man, that was really simple. We, uh, there is not an escape room in the United States that could keep back this mastermind, all right? That's, that's what was going through my brain. And so uh, the time came, and uh, we had some vouchers from the same escape room company that said, you can uh, redeem these, you earned a free time to come, and so... We were like, man, we are, we're so confident in ourselves. Let's forget all these medium level things, all right? We're going to go to the highest level that, you know, 6% escape during the year, whatever it might be. And we're going to show that uh, we have the minds that can get through this room, whatever it might be. And so I remember going with uh, Miss Emily and uh, two friends of ours. And we went into this room and the theme was this biohazard theme. Right? It was like this virus that could not be spread, and within an hour you had to find all of the um, tubes with the virus in it and things like that. Uh, and so I remember we were all excited. We're sitting in the room. They're giving you instructions. It's myself, Miss Emily, our two friends, and there was two other people in the room with us. There were six of us. And uh, as soon as they said go, I remember we were confident, me and my buddy, we were tearing things apart, and we were not finding any keys. I mean, no keys at all. The last couple of rooms we had done together, you just find a key, you find the lock to it, right? You unlock it, uh, and you get through the room in a breeze. And all we are finding are books. We're not finding keys, we're finding books. And so, uh, literally within five minutes of this escape room, my buddy and I are completely lost. We're like, uh, man, there has got to be something obvious here that we're missing. There's got to be something. And it, it's obviously not books, right? It can't be books that we have to sit and read, uh, it's got to be something more obvious. So, you know, we're standing there and we're staring at this little dent in the wall like, oh, this has to mean something. And meanwhile, um, our two girlfriends, our wives now, um, they were over reading all of these books that we found. And uh, it seemed like a little waste of time because it was taking, you know, 
10 minutes, getting into 15 minutes and into our time. And, but my buddy and I, we weren't finding anything either, so we let them do it. And there's about 35 minutes left on the clock, so 25 minutes has passed. And all of a sudden, uh, Miss Emily, and her name was Gabby, just spring into action. I mean, they're unlocking things, they're getting codes, they're finding these, uh, these veils with the, the virus in it, whatever it might be, and they're finding all these things, and my buddy and I are looking at them, and they're like, oh, those are magical books, let's go read these books over here, all right? <laughs> Something's in these books, and so, uh, needless to say, we made it out with like two minutes to spare, not because of myself at all, I don't think I got a, a single clue uh, during that escape room, but in an escape room, you see that time running down. And uh, you think you're doing good on time when you first start, and you, you're finding clue after clue after clue, and then when you hit the middle, you like have a dead spot, you're not finding much, and all of a sudden you look up and there's five minutes left on the clock, and now you're in a rush. But you kind of have the advantage of seeing that time go down. You know how much, more t- how much time is left uh, when the game is over. Paul here is discussing that life is temporal, there is a limit on it. That the things of this life have a time limit. We have a time limit in this life. And hear me this, this morning, this truth that Paul is bringing out this morning, it's vitally important that we understand what he's saying here, that life is temporal. That life here on this earth is just like the lady saying this morning, it's a vapor. Look at verse 16 in chapter 4. That's where he's starting this thought. You see the phrase, though our outward man perish. Paul is saying, even though the physical body is in the process of decay and will eventually die, that's what he's saying there. It's something we all have to deal with, is it not? If the Lord tarries, every single one of us in this room have to face death in this life. Each, of, each day our body is decaying. If we are to understand the importance of the point that Paul is trying to make, prepare to meet your God, we have to understand that this life is temporal, it's limited. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed years. We'd all love to sit here this morning and know for a fact that we have 20 plus more years left on this earth in this lifetime, but we don't know that. Many of you in here have experienced the death of a loved one. It is part of this life. And now there is eternity to think about, which praise the Lord for. You are going to spend eternity somewhere, either a place called heaven or a place called hell. And uh, it's our burden and desire this morning that you don't leave here this morning without knowing for sure your eternal destiny. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We have that answer. We want to share that answer with you this morning. Make sure you don't leave this morning without knowing that. So that's what verse 16, he's starting the talk of temporalness. Verse 17, he kind of continues it here. You see this phrase, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now this verse has always baffled me. We would say that Paul's afflictions were anything but light. Honestly. I mean, Paul's sitting there after being persecuted, after churches slandering him, after being thrown into prison and all these different things, and Paul is... Paul's afflictions aren't what we would call light. So why in the world is he calling them light? Well, it's the rest of that verse there in chapter 17. Uh, He says, Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul is saying this, I can call these afflictions light because what they are accomplishing in me for the glory of God is worth far more. 
You see, we have this light affliction, but if you go through it the way God wants you to, and, and leaning on His strength, think of the mass weight of eternal glory that's being in the process of being made in your life. He's talking about the temporalness of even our affliction. So yes, we can look at it and say, life is temporal, life is short. We all have to face death one day. But Christian, this morning we can also say, hey, afflictions are temporal. The things that we go through in life, the physical afflictions or the emotional, whatever they might be, it's all temporal. That's a good thing. That is a, that's a thing as Christians we should rejoice about. We all have people close to us. We all know people, maybe even our own lives, that struggle with afflictions and, and physical things or emotional things, whatever it might be. And the fact of the matter is this is not the end. This world is not our home. We have eternity in a place called heaven where there is no more death. No more affliction. Aren't you glad that while yes, we do have to face death, life is temporal, at the same time, life is temporal. Afflictions are temporal. We continue there, verse 18, Paul says that the things that can be seen with human eyes are temporal. The things of God are eternal. Then you get into chapter 1, Paul is still talking about this thought of the temporalness of life and comparing it with eternity. Uh, Paul gives a metaphor of houses and how they are temporal. For Paul, this was very true as he was a tent maker and how he was traveling uh, through place to place and from place to place. And I just like to say I'm constantly grateful for evangelists who care more about the cause of Christ than temporal possessions here in this life. It, it shouts a testimony and a heart and a motive that wants to please God. And that's what Paul, Paul's speaking this from uh, self-experience here. He's saying it's temporal. These possessions are temporal. Verse 2 is for us believers, he's saying we groan or we long for our heavenly home. We look for that day, our heavenly dwelling, that place. Verse 3 may be sometimes misplaced, but uh, just Basically what he's saying here, it's almost rhetorical. God's not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. We're not going to end up in want after this life. It is a for sure thing. In verse 4, Paul is still dwelling on that longing for eternal life of a glorified body. Paul wanted the fullness of all God had planned for him in eternal life. That's something that is a good thing to long for. And we all should long for it as Christians. Verse 5 talks again about the guarantee of the Spirit. And much can be said about these, these verses here this morning. Uh, and there's a lot of meat in here and a lot of theology. But for the sake of time, I want to sum up this section for you. Paul is stating that we are living a temporal life. Our life on earth is limited. Our afflictions are temporal. And our possessions are temporal. He is comparing this life to eternal life. Compared to forever and ever with no end in sight, this life is so minuscule and so small and yes, so temporal. You will spend eternity somewhere. You may say that it's really hard to wrap my mind around uh, eternity. I wrap my mind around that there's, this life is temporal, that there's more things past just this life. Well, that's why Paul puts in verse 7 here. That's why we sang it in our first hymn this morning. We walk by faith, not by sight. It takes belief in God who has proven Himself, who has, can clearly, you can clearly see the effects of. It's going to take 
faith. Stop trying to make sense of eternity and how long eternity is because the fact is we can't really wrap our minds around it because we live in a temporal life. James 4.14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Psalm 144, verse 4. Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. We have to get this point here this morning. We have to understand this truth that life is temporal. And then when we understand this truth, we can say, we can pray like the psalmist in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 12 that says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. The first truth I want us to see this morning is the temporalness of life. That's what Paul's bringing out here. But the second thing that he brings out is a pleasing preparation for a Christian here. A pleasing preparation. We see this in verses 9 through really 10 of our passage in chapter 5 here. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. That word wherefore kind of means in light of these facts. In light of the fact that life is temporal, we work, we aim to We labor that we, whether it's here in this temporal life or one day with Him, are acceptable in His sight, are pleasing in His sight. You might remember that word acceptable from the verse in Romans chapter 1, or 12 in verse 1 that talks about our living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. I wonder today, as God looks at your life, is it acceptable to Him? Are your acts in the home and in private acceptable? Are your acts towards others acceptable to His holy standards of purity, of righteousness? Or maybe does God look into our lives and see filth? Or maybe filth that has been building up for a long time as we've continuously responded in anger or continuously responded wrong, or had wrong thoughts, or immoral thoughts. Paul is telling this church here in Corinth, if I could sum up all four of my letters about doing right, it is this. You need to strive to make your life on this earth acceptable before God that created you. Not acceptable to your pastor. Not acceptable to your spouse. Not acceptable to your friends. But acceptable to God and His standard, because He is the judge. I skipped over this part in verse 16 for a reason back in chapter 4. Look back there. Paul says, yes, our body is decaying, but verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, though we're decaying physically, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Guess what? Your bodies are decaying. Our bodies are decaying. They're getting worse on a regular basis, but that should never be the case for your spiritual life. That is something the physical body does. The spiritual life, that should be renewed day by day. That should be growing. Paul is sitting here saying, man, I feel weak. My body is getting weaker and weaker, but my spiritual life is growing. I have the body of a frail man, but I have the body of my spiritual life like a bodybuilder because it's building up over time. That is what Paul's pointing out here. The inward, the spiritual part of us is being renewed day by day. To live acceptably before God is simply to live for Him and for Him alone. Not for self, 
not for others. To be acceptable before him is to live in a way that when he looks at your acts, when he looks at your thoughts, when he looks at your deeds, and he does, it's pleasing. It makes him smile. It makes him happy. You know, I absolutely love the addition of Emerald in our home. All right, She is a joy, and her smile will light up the room, uh, as many of you know. And uh, it's hard to come home or to see her in a rough day and see her smile and not just be happy. All right? But I'll be honest with you this morning that there are days, as hard as this is to believe, that Emerald is just not having it. All right? uh, I know she seems like a very sweet girl, but there are days when nothing is going to make her smile. I mean, it's almost like a competition. And uh, maybe she didn't get her, uh, the nap for long enough or hasn't gotten her food in a little bit. And you're, uh, If you ever want some entertainment, just watch Pastor Joe when he tries to make Emerald smile, okay? Uh, there is no limit to what I might try to do, right? I'm up there standing in front of her acting like a monkey and uh, talking to her in baby talk or whatever it might be, making all these weird faces. And uh, she's just kind of sitting there like, yeah, monkey's not going to work for me today, Dad. Try something else. Uh, and all these different things, and, and you try as hard as you can uh, to, to make her smile, to do something that's going to please her, to make her smile, right? Get her out of this uh, grumpy, and then it turns into kind of concerned mood when dad starts to act like a monkey and things like that. And uh, it also kind of scares me that I, I'll go through all those things, and sometimes, sometimes I'll get her to laugh and chuckle and smile, but there are times when it just will not work. And uh, after I've tried all these things, you know, I'll do something like take a step back and accidentally trip over a chair, and that makes her smile now. All right? That worries me a little bit, okay? Um, that, uh, no, monkey's not going to work. Oh, but fall over a chair and hurt yourself. That's pretty hilarious, Dad. Do it again, uh, whatever it might be. Sometimes I do some weird things to try to please her and to make her happy. Let me talk to you, tell you something, Christian. There should be no limit to what you're willing to do to make your God pleased. To make your life seem acceptable before Him. To make Him smile on your life. That is what life is about. That is what our goal should be. Not to please others, not to please a spouse, but to please your God. Now, is He pleased when we treat our spouse right? Is He pleased when we treat others right? Absolutely. But the goal, the purpose, is to please our God. When God looks down today and sees you, and looks at maybe how you do treat your spouse, or your thoughts, or your reactions, or the words that you say, the things you do in secret. Is he pleased when he looks at what you watch, what you listen to, what you fill your mind with? It should be pleasing to him. That should be our goal. Hey, is God excited when he looks down at the people here at Eagle Heights Baptist Church, and when he looks into their life at what they allow in their families, when he looks into their life and what you allow in your life, Christians, that's maybe impacted too much by the world. Is he excited? Can he look down at the people here? Can he look down at Pastor Joe this morning and say, yes, that is pleasing. Everything that you allow in your life, that is pleasing to me. There's not filth in that. I don't see an ugliness to sin in this or whatever it might be. That should be the goal. We should not half-heartedly go through life without thinking about the things that we allow in our family's life and allow ourselves to do without asking the question, is this pleasing to God? It's foolish to allow anything in our life, any decision in our life that does not ask that question first. Is this acceptable to God's standard of holiness? 
Is this pleasing to God's standard of purity and whatever it might be? Colossians 1.10 says this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Proverbs 11.20 says this, They that are of a forward heart and abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are his delight. Haggai 1.7, I know it's talking to the uh, Israelites here, but this is exactly what Paul is telling Christians to do here in our passage. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you allow in your life. Think about what the things in your life are allowing you to think about and dwell on. Think about your actions. Think about your family that you're leading, Dad. Is it preparing to meet your God? Is it pleasing to God? Let's consider our ways this morning, teenager, or father, or sister in Christ, or grandparent. Let's consider our ways to see if they are indeed pleasing to the Lord. So what is pleasing to God? Well, the Bible spares no detail on that in our lives. To walk pleasing to Him, you better be in this book, first of all, or you're not going to know. But the Bible says that holiness, humility, righteousness, submission, obedience, kindness, purity, love, mercy, a soft answer, the list could go on and on. They're pleasing to God. Is our life filled with those things? This life is simply preparation for something that is going to come in all of our lives. The right preparation or the right way to live in this life, believer, is to please God. Yes, because this life is temporal compared to the eternal, but Paul's about to give us an even more important reason here as well, which is my third truth this morning. There's a meeting that none of us will miss. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 talks about. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Have you ever wanted to miss a meeting? Uh, Or maybe just not on purpose, but were late to a meeting, or completely thought the meeting was on your schedule, something like that. I almost did that this past week on Tuesday. I was scheduled to meet with Officer Jones with the police department, and uh, sitting in my office, this, the meeting was like at 3.15, and I'm just sitting there working away in my office at 3.10. And then finally, he showed up, and it struck me. I was like, oh, I have a meeting with him. So, But it could have been, you know, if he didn't show up and things like that, I would have easily missed that meeting and completely forgot about it. This is a meeting that none of us will get out of. Christian, you will stand before your Savior someday. You will stand before your God someday. Why live our life? in a way that's solely pleasing to God and not a way that pleases us? Why live a life that is solely devoted to Him where we give up temporal things of this world? Why do that? Because we're going to stand before Him one day. We're going to give an account. You will meet the Creator and Savior of the universe and you will be accountable for how you lived your life. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul is speaking to believers here, and he's talking about a time when people who are saved will be brought face to face with our Savior. Many refer to this as the Bema seat. And uh, the people of Corinth really understood that because the Bema seat was a seat 
that even in the time of Corinth, they would have games and crowns or rewards would be given at this Bema seat at the time of Corinth. And so they, they got this, this, uh, this picture here that he was saying. It's a picture of Christians standing before Christ. And we know it as being the time where we'll cast our crowns down before his feet. We'll cast down our acts that we've done for him. I believe we will sit in our Redeemer in all of His glory right in front of Him and immediately realize and bow and say, He deserved more. I think it is a somber time here at this judgment seat because we'll realize how amazing He is face to face in all His glory. This will be a time, Christians, where faith will be sight. And the God that you have put your faith in and trust in and hopefully lived for, you will stand before. I hope we won't stand there and say, man, I was too worried about the game than to be in God's house. Or I was too worried about money and keeping my job than the things of God. I was too caught up in entertainment and not God's word. The Greek word here uh, is phalon for the word bad, which means literally worthless. Deeds that were worthless to the cause of Christ that you did not use to promote Christ, that you did not use to please Christ with. It goes down to the motives as well of our acts. You see, when it's all said and done, it won't matter if the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in 2020. It won't matter how much money you had in this life. It won't matter how many people like you, teenager or adult. The only thing that will matter is when you stand before your God one day Is he pleased with your actions of this temporal life? Is he pleased with what you have done? Amos 4.12 gives us the same thing Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, obviously, to the children of Israel. But it says this, Amos 4.12, pretty much the title of our message, Prepare to meet thy God. When you boil it down, life is nothing more than our opportunity to prepare for a meeting that all of us will be at as Christians. We won't get out of. Life is simply preparing for that time where faith will be sight, where we will stand before our Creator and our Savior. What type of preparation are we doing? The preparation is this temporal life. That's what God is putting under the microscope when we're at this judgment seat. I gave this illustration to the teenagers several weeks ago. I've had the privilege of working at several different types of jobs. All right? I've worked on a farm, I've worked on a dairy farm, and a berry farm. Uh, I've worked construction, and I've worked in Wal- at Walgreens. All right? uh, now, for the sake of this illustration, I want you to maybe remember a job that you have or a job in the past. Okay? Uh, I'm going to use Walgreens as, for the sake of this illustration. Let's say that Pastor Joey's interviewing at Walgreens, about to get the job, and the management... Uh, comes up to me and says, all right, this is how things work. We're looking to hire you, but we want to let you know that uh, every Friday um, after you get off work, we just have this company policy where you will come and report to the manager and we will go over what you did for the week and we'll go over what's going to happen next week, whatever it might be. And so that's fine with me. I get the job. Uh, I go into work the next Monday and I have a list, I have a sheet of things that I have to do before Friday gets there that I have to come before the manager and give an account of what I had done that week. And uh, let's say Monday gets there, I look at that list and I'm like, oh, well, I'm pretty young. I, I can move around pretty quick. And this list, I could get that done in a couple of days. So 
You know, today I'm not necessarily going to focus on that list. And then Tuesday comes and my attitude is kind of the same. Oh, yeah, I did it yesterday. So, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's when I'll knock out this list. I'll, I'll knock it out and then Friday I'll meet with the management. Well, then Wednesday comes and you're like, well, you know what? That job actually, I could get it done in 10 minutes, not 20. Uh, and all these different and then it comes and then Thursday gets there and you have the same I have the same excuse and then Friday gets there and my list is not done and then I go before the management and I have to now give an account for what I did not do what I did not get accomplished that I was supposed to you would sit here and say man how foolish if you were to actually do that pastor Joe how foolish you uh have fun trying to keep that job right and you're right I wouldn't keep that job you're absolutely right it's foolish but you know what even is even more foolish? When God tells you, Christian, that at the end of your life, which we don't know it will be, you will stand before your Maker and your Savior and give an account for your works. And we look at that, and with our lives, we do not take knowing Christ or the Christian life seriously. It's even more foolish. God doesn't give us the detail about how much time is left, but he gives you the detail that you're going to stand before him one day. Why be foolish with this temporal life? Why waste it? This life is to please God. Christian, prepare to meet your God. It's going to happen. We have a temporary time to prepare for that meeting. Don't be foolish. Do not waste that opportunity. This morning we are all still living, and that means we are all still preparing. We need to make sure that whether we're still living or there with him one day, he looks at us and our our acts, our thoughts are acceptable before him. As we conclude, just a couple of thoughts from this passage. I want to be an encouragement this morning and say this, believer, hey, life is temporal. Afflictions are temporal. There is going to be a day when we will have no more pain. We will be in heaven with our Savior one day. Life is temporal. Allow God to work in you through your afflictions. Life is temporal. But I also want to be challenging this morning and say, believer, life is temporal. We're going to stand before God one day. You know, I think as Paul says this, you could almost read it two different ways. He's he's talking to the church of Corinth and he says, guys, you're going to meet your Savior face to face one day. You can also read it, You're going to meet your Savior face-to-face one day. I mean, it's an encouragement and it's a challenge. Life is temporal. These afflictions are temporal. Allow afflictions to do just what God did in Paul and a more exceeding weight of glory in your life. But also remember, we don't know how long we have in this life. It's temporal. And as a Christian, it should be used to prepare for that moment and we will stand before God. Keep serving the Lord, believer. The day will come when we will forever be with the Lord. Your afflictions will end. Keep serving the Lord, believer, because the day is going to come where we will stand before our Lord. Maybe this morning you're here and God might not be pleased with several things. might not be acceptable. Can I encourage you to get them right? Maybe you're here this morning and you're just living for self. The purpose of this life is not to live for self. You could easily say this life is simply preparing for a day that we stand before God and give an account of this life. So why not prepare for that meeting to be an amazing meeting of well done, 
my good and faithful servant. Put self aside. Serve him and please him with what you allow in your homes, Father. With what you allow yourself to do, teenager, and think about and allow in your lives. Please him. I can't stress enough in the realm of eternity. This life is temporal. You only have one shot at it. Prepare to meet your God. Sister in Christ, are your actions pleasing to God? Are your words to other people? Prepare to meet your God. Please Him today, then do it again tomorrow, and then strive to, to do it again the next day. Life is about pleasing Him. We are all living a life that is preparing something to present to God our Savior one day. So what are you doing to prepare for this meeting? Parents, grandparents, what are you doing to help prepare your children and your grandchildren for this meeting? Are there things that as the leaders in your household or the family that you've allowed in under your leadership that's doing the opposite of preparing your children for this meeting one day? Teenager, what are you doing in your life that's helping your friend sitting next to you prepare for this meeting one day? You've got to be preparing your life first. And then we can help others. Then we can impact others. So what are we doing? Is what we allow in our life potentially going to hinder something that's going to please God? Something that's acceptable before God? Paul is simply stating this here. In the middle of this letter, in the middle of talking about his ministry, after writing all these previous letters about the church in Corinth and telling them to do this and all these uh, different things that you have to do with the Lord's Supper in different ways in church, he's simply stating this in one of his last letters to them. Why? Why, believer, give your life fully and all in for Christ? Because this life is a preparation for one day you're going to stand before him. One day you're going to give an account. So let's this morning take advantage of while God has us still alive here this morning. Let's take advantage of that leaders in the household. Let's take advantage of that teenager, grandparent, sister in Christ, whoever you might be this morning. Take advantage that you are still living today and that this temporal life which will end is preparing us for a day where we will stand before God. Let's take advantage as individuals here at Eagle Heights Baptist Church and as a body of believers. We don't know how much time is left. We don't know when the Lord will return. We don't know when he will call us home. It's temporal. There's an eternity afterwards that we can look forward to. But for right now, Paul says we labor, we work, we aim, we give everything. We're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure our family, our lives, their, the actions and the things in it are pleasing and acceptable to God. Let's make that our aim. Let's make that our work, our constant labor on a daily basis. Let's pray.